Let me now invite you to open your Bibles now to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Today we start a new book as we transition from 1 Peter to 2 Peter. Of course, if you remember, uh, Peter's first letter was all about learning how to suffer well as exiles. Not just to suffer, but to do so well, understanding that uh, we live in a world that is hostile to the ways of God. And if you truly follow Jesus and live for his glory, you will suffer. In fact, this is God's will for you. This is part of God's plan for believers. But the good news for us is we know that God is watching over us. He is sovereign over these things. He's, he's not turning his eye away from us. He, he is a very present help in time of need. And we also find great hope knowing that Jesus, even now, is preparing a place for his people. This world is not our home. We don't need to be afraid, yet we must be sober-minded and watchful. We ended last week just reminded we, we have an enemy, right, who's after us, who's like a lion wanting to devour us. Second Peter is a different message. Like First Peter, it is a serious one. And what makes this book a bit more sobering is that when he writes this letter, Peter knows it's probably going to be his last. You see, death is knocking on Peter's door. He wrote this in 2 Peter 1, verse 13. Look at that with me real quick here. I think it, I think it writes, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. There's a certain weight that comes with knowing you are about to die and hearing from someone. Just consider how important it is for people, uh, the last words of a loved one who went before them sobering words. Even this week, I had a, a friend of mine pass away somewhat unexpectedly, and I just began to ponder and think about our last conversations that we had. There's just something that keeps people holding on to the last words of another. I would imagine that if I was part of one of these original churches that received these letters, this letter, Peter's words about this being the last thing he would share would have drawn me to pay close attention. See, throughout history, since the very beginning, truth has been under attack. One only needs to go back to the Garden of Eden to find that out. If you remember, God had told Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Otherwise, they would surely die. The serpent found an opportunity to challenged what God had said and went to Adam and Eve. He's like, will, will you really die? Now, God, God just doesn't want you to be like him. You see, if you eat that fruit, you will be like God. And ultimately, they gave in and believed the lie of Satan because surely Adam and Eve not only died spiritually, but later they died physically. Death, God was not lying. They may not have died physically at that moment, but at that point, 
separation came between them and God, and now we see death in the world because of that. The truth was cast aside, and man has struggled with that ever since. How, how many of you are, uh, by God's grace, hopeful to read through the Bible this year? Anybody else out there with me? Now, as you read through over and over again throughout the Old Testament, God's people continually reject the knowledge of God throughout. They continually reject the truth. God made it very clear for what they should do, and over and over again, they go against it. And how did that go for them? <laughs> Not very well. You read all throughout, and you see lots of suffering. Many of them lost their lives because of their disobedience. They were plundered by their enemies. They were led into exile. And here in 2 Peter, Peter is warning Christians to beware of walking away from the truth. As you see on the screen, this is the theme for 2 Peter. Grow in the knowledge of God and live it out. That's going to be our title as well for this morning. Grow in the knowledge of God and live it out. Out. Let me pray for us as we jump in here a little bit more. Lord, thank you for the reminder this morning of the fact that we have a right standing with you, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to your mercy. Lord, for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in you, we are forgiven. Lord, let that reality lead us to worship. Let it lead us to live our lives for your glory alone. And Lord, this morning we need to have our attention turned to you. And God, I pray for us as a church, I pray for my own soul, that we would grow in the knowledge of God, but not only that, that we would live it out. Two very different things. One away from the other is going to lead us down a place of, of struggle. And so, Lord, would you move in us this morning? Would you draw us near to you? Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to acknowledge this morning, before we move on, that this is going to be a, a different kind of sermon than I'm used to. Uh, I only have one more slide after this, and that is the action steps. This is a, a broad kind of overview of this book. We're going to look at the introductory verses and kind of lay that out for us, but really this is more about the background, and yet I still think there's things for us this morning to apply to our lives, to put into practice, but just know for all you note takers, you might have to come up with the notes on your own, or I think there's plenty of stuff here for you to do that, but just so you know, uh, there will be no slides except for the action steps at the end. Let me state for us again that much of Peter's focus in 2 Peter is growing in knowledge. Now often in the church you, you hear warnings of becoming Bible fatheads. In my mind I, I think of a person with an overinflated head. It's a silly picture that you think of, but really it's a good understanding and a good picture to know what it means to, to know a lot of stuff but then not really do anything about it. We can't puff ourselves up Puff our minds full of facts. It, it needs to be something that actually leads into action. But, but I've also seen people go the other direction and just kind of disregard knowledge. 
kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because we need to be careful not to puff ourselves up with knowledge doesn't mean that we should avoid growing in knowledge. That would certainly not be Peter's aim. As, as Christians, we should grow in the knowledge of the Lord. We should seek out learning God's word. We should study it well so as to properly understand the meaning of scripture. Just consider here as we move even through this first chapter, the focus that Peter has about knowledge. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There's grace and there's peace for us in growing in the knowledge of God. How many of you want grace and peace in your life this morning? Verse 3 and 4, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In our growth of knowledge we come to understand these precious, great promises. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, Peter intends for us to, to grow as a result of our knowledge. He intends for us to be fruitful and effective in our lives. One way we do that is by growing in the knowledge of God. Peter isn't just speaking, though, of stuffing a bunch of facts in our minds. He's not speaking of knowledge that puffs up, but rather knowledge that grows up. So not only does Peter begin the book with knowledge, but he also ends it that way. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Look at that with me real quick. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, our pursuit of the knowledge of God is an endless pursuit. We will never exhaust the beauty and the glory of Scripture. Yet, in that pursuit, we must be sure it is taking root in our lives and we are living it out. It's, it's changing us. We also must be sure that the knowledge we are growing in is biblical knowledge. It must be God's truth. Now, we live in a world where truth is very subjective in the minds of many people. Have you seen that? We hear things like, you have the, your truth and I have mine. Is that possible? Is that possible for you to have a different truth than me that go against each other and both be okay? Yet that's where society has us. I, I think of this, like if, if everything is true, then what? <laughs> Nothing is true. You, you can't decide, for instance, that you are one gender when the truth of science and the truth of God's word tells us another. We'll get to Genesis here uh, pretty soon, before the end of the year at some point, probably after 2 Peter. And we're going to see that God created us what? Male and female. God decided it. We don't get to decide, well, I feel different in my mind than my body tells me, so therefore I am what my mind says. And yet, like, we live in a world that says it agrees with science and then doesn't agree with, like, we're messed up. 
Why? Because we're casting truth aside and we're, we're de declaring what we think is true and you can declare what you think is true. That's not true. Only what God's word says is true. God is truth. You know, even in the church, people are getting tripped up with truth. And we can find ourselves in Bible studies and asking the question, what does this passage mean to you? Now, certainly, I think there's different applications that we can take from the same scripture and be, and be faithful. Amen? Right? But there's only one true meaning of the text. And we, we can't go around and, and have a different truth to it. There's different ways to look at it as long as that's compatible with the, the structure of the book and where it's written, we're good. But we have to be careful that we don't come up with our own meaning. For instance, here's a verse that is so, un, like, abused in scripture philippians 4 13 <laughs> i can do all things through christ who strengthens me you probably have a mug at home that has it on there and chances are it's got some kind of sports logo on there i can win this game i can do this through christ who gives me strength i can make the final shot i can hit the ball out of the park pitchers and catchers reported amen just kidding do you know that that verse has nothing to do with athletic ability it has nothing to do with approaching a test and finding strength through Christ. Not say Christ doesn't strengthen us in those kind of moments. That verse has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with understanding what it means. If you look at the context of that verse and what it means to have a little and what it means to have a lot. I've learned, I've contended all things. I can do all things. I can be content with any, any circumstance. That is what that verse means. So we, we have to be careful, believer. Even the church can screw this up. I mean, even thinking about that verse, what happens when you lose the game? What happens when you strike out? You trip and fall at your dance recital. Was it a lack of faith? God doesn't care? You see, these are dangerous things. Actually, I can, I can like... I can do all things, meaning I can glorify God when I mess up, and I can glorify God when I succeed. That's, that's a better application for that verse. When we read God's word, we need to seek out what he is saying and not our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Do not lean on your own understanding. We need knowledge that comes from his Word And if someone comes to you with a new word from God, run away. We have what we need in the completed scriptures. Another way I see churches leading people astray is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that's proclaimed. If you come to Jesus, then things will work out for you in your life. Now, in a sense, do things work out for us in Christ? Amen, they do. But not the way we might think. Doesn't mean your bank account's going to be full. Doesn't mean you're going to get healthy. Doesn't mean you're going to stay healthy. Everyone who has ever lived has died except for, everybody has ever lived has died. Like that's, the death rate is one per person. This is the reality for us. Even every person who was healed in the Bible, what happened to them eventually? They're in the grave. That's a different gospel other than that of Jesus Christ, and they focus on healing and, and getting 
rich. Have you ever found yourself watching these quote-unquote Christian television and they ask you to send money and they'll send you a cloth, prayer cloth that has been blessed and anointed? Turn that stuff off. If you give a hundred, you're going to, if you sow a seed of a hundred, it's going to be multiplied to you by a hundredfold. Turn it off. There, there's no promise of health, wealth, and prosperity. In fact, Jesus promises the opposite. In this world, you have what? Trouble. But take heart. He's overcome the world. You have what you need in Christ. If you need to get healthy and wealthy in order to come to Jesus, you don't want Jesus. You want his gifts. Coming to Jesus won't guarantee any of that, but he does guarantee everlasting joy to your soul, a peace that passes understanding. See, the reason why Peter focused so much on lived out knowledge is because there were false teachers who were preaching something different than the true gospel. And on top of that their lives look completely different than what the Christian life should look like. Turn with me now to 2 Peter chapter 2. Much of chapter 2 is reviewing, here's these false prophets who are living awful lives, and also, you know what? God pay, will pay, will punish those who speak against his ways. Chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. Do we have a problem with sex in our culture? And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. You, you find that out? You stand up for biblical principles? What happens to you in this world? And then their greed. You got a problem with money? In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Notice these false teachers lived very sinful lives, sexual immorality, giving to all kinds of sensuality. Clearly, the knowledge of God was not informing the way they lived their lives. And as I mentioned earlier, chapter 2 progresses to the point where we see false teachers won't get away with it. Judgment is coming. And the greatest heresy of these is the denial of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Second Peter is a warning to us. Grow in the knowledge of God. Let it infiltrate every part of your lives. Live out this truth. Then when false teaching comes your way, you'll be able to sniff it out so quickly. Have you ever been told how people are taught about how to identify fake money? They, you do it by handling the real thing so much. Get to know the texture, the feel, the look. Study it. Look at it. Know it inside and out. So then when the false money comes your way, you're able to sniff it out right away and say, no, this isn't real. Like, this is what we are called to do as believers. Get to know God's word. Seek the Lord and what he says. And so when false things come your way, it sticks out so clearly that you don't bite for it one bit. There's a lot of tickling that goes on in our world that sounds good. But we must be careful as believers to know the truth 
one reason why I can struggle with Christian music a lot today. It just seems like there's so much fluff in it because it just lacks the power of the gospel. It, it, much of it just seems to focus internally on you, on me, and focus on me and what it makes me feel. But listen, as you read through scripture, what are the scriptures about? Who is it about? Go ahead, you can say it. Jesus, right? It all points to the Savior. It doesn't point to us. This isn't a book to make us feel good about ourselves. And yet, what, is the, what, what are we looking for in the world? What is the world looking for? Have it your way. Live your best life. You deserve better. These are the messages that the world says. And the Bible is saying, no, get your eyes off yourself and turn to the Savior. Jesus is the one that we should be after. Jesus is the point of the scriptures. So that is the intro of 2 Peter. Grow in the knowledge of God and live it out. Let's just work through these first couple verses then for a little bit more background, a little bit more information on this book. First Peter, or 2 Peter 1, I'm going to read 1 and 2 for us. Simeon Peter, some manuscripts actually say Simon, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now if you were, if you're aware, perhaps if you look back at 1 Peter, you notice that Peter actually opens up this letter different than the first, Peter, the first letter that he wrote. 1 Peter 1.1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here in 2 Peter, he gives two titles. He uses both of his names, Simeon and Peter. Now, if you know the Gospels, you know that Jesus gave Peter the name Peter. So let's just look that real quick. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And what we see here is a very familiar passage. If, if, if you know the Gospels, you know this. If you know Scripture at all very well, if you've been in the church a long time, you understand that uh, beginning of the Gospel, Simon, 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 and then it transitions over to Peter. Matthew 16, verse 13 through 18. Let me just read that for us now. Now when Jesus came to the into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now Peter, of course, was a, a very bold disciple of Jesus. He's very outspoken and wanted to be at the forefront of everything that was going on. But he often got himself in trouble because of that. Late, just later on, just a couple verses past Matthew, what does Jesus call Peter? Just get behind me, Satan. And no one will forget what Peter did to Jesus when he was on trial. 
as he denied him three times. So I, I believe when, when Peter gives these two titles of Simeon and Peter, he's remembering who he was apart from Christ and he's remembering who he is in Christ. Notice in, in 2 Peter 1, as it continues, he, he calls himself a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1, what does he say? He just calls himself a apostle, an apostle. Now, servant, the Greek word is doulos. It could also mean slave. You see, I, I think Peter realizes who he was. He realized what he had done to Jesus. And so he approaches this as a place of a servant, as a place of, look, I, I know I have the authority of an apostle, and I know that there's a certain weight that comes with that, but no, I'm a servant of the one whom I denied. And yet his grace is sufficient for me. Verse 1, I believe, is an expression of humility from Peter, and it's worth our time to pause for a moment and remember our unworthiness to be called a child of God. It's worth it to reflect on the fact that if we were able to make, if we are able to make any impact in the kingdom of God, it's only by his grace and mercy. Ephesians remind us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which who laid them out in advance? Christ did that we might walk in them. Peter understands, look, I'm not coming to you as somebody who has it all together. I'm coming to you as a broken, saved man. I'm a servant. I'm, a, I'm joyfully enslaved to my Savior. I give my life to him. So Peter does not approach these churches as one who deserves any praise. Believer, let me ask you this morning, how is your joy in the Lord? Are you a joyful servant to him? Are you joyfully indebted to the one who gave his life so that you might have life abundantly? In the second part of verse 1, he makes a massive statement that I think feeds to that, what, I, what I, we just talked about. Look at the second part of verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, as we reflect on Scripture, particularly the New Testament, we can be tempted to, to think we are secondary compared to people like Peter and Paul, as if they're just on a pedestal above us. Like, that's our temptation, to, to rise them above everybody else, as if they had some kind of special anointing about them, that they, they did some good works, and they were worthy of something greater than what we have. Perhaps even his audience might have felt that. I, I'm not sure. If they were tempted in the same way. But Peter levels the field here. The ground is level at the cross. Nobody approaches it more worthy than anybody else. We are all, we all like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned our own way. You see, the book of the Bible is not a book of heroes. It's the book of wonders. We have an equal standing with God as Peter and Paul. And, and here's a crazy thought for you to ponder. Perhaps in, we could in one sense claim to have almost a leg up, like there's almost a blessing to be on this side of Jesus. I mean, think about it. When, when Jesus left the earth, 
Did he say, man, this is going to be worse off for you? Hopefully you might find some hope in me leaving. Is that how Jesus approached his leaving? No, he said, it's actually going to be better off. Because who did Jesus send when he left? His Holy Spirit. I'm sending you a helper who will be with you. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, he could be at one place at one time. He couldn't be in, in Jerusalem and then be across the, the ocean at the same time. He was in space. He was in time. He was right there. But when Jesus left, it was actually better because now we have his Holy Spirit. And here's the blessing that we have that Peter and that even the people that he wrote to did not have. We've got the completed scripture in our hands. Sometimes I, I look lightly at that. And what a gift that we have God's word that we can hold. We have a faith equal in standing even to Peter's. Notice what that equal standing is based on. It's not based on our good works. It's not based on anything that we bring. You have, we, you have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by what? The righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the foundation to our faith and our knowledge. And as a church, we believe passionately that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Turn with me to Ephesians. I read a little bit of that this morning during communion, but let me read a little bit past where I did. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is your not, own, your, not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, we've been given faith by grace. Both of those things are a gift from God. Your faith in Christ this morning is a gift that he has given to you. Nobody here was good enough to earn God's favor. That is great news for us this morning. That's why it's level at the cross. That's why we have a faith equal to that of Peter's because he doesn't, he has, he's got the same righteousness as we do. He didn't bring his own righteousness. He denied the Savior. Paul didn't bring his own righteousness. He was killing God's people. It's only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we can be made right with the Father. And there are churches who are preaching a works-based salvation. First of all, it's not biblical. Secondly, what a horrible way to live. I mean, think about it. If you think somehow you can earn your way to God, here's what happens. Number one, you're doing well. You're nailing it. What's the temptation there? Pride. And then you start looking around thinking, why aren't you doing what I'm doing? You're, you're a horrible person. You're going to hell because you're not doing what I'm doing. I'm not even that great a person, but I'm doing a lot more than you're doing. And we start doing the comparing game. Or the reverse side, man, you, you're, you're, you're just, you're awful. You, you mess up. You lost your temper at your kids, your wife. And then you start wondering, okay, if we earn our salvation, does that mean we can then lose it? And then how, how far is too far? Like, when do I go too far? What if, I'm, what if I'm traveling on the road, somebody cuts me off, and I give them the finger? Does that mean and, and you get a crash and you die? Does that mean you go to hell? Because that was the last thing you did was 
cuss somebody out. Like that's a horrible way to live. It's not by works of righteousness that we've done. It's according to his mercies. Therefore, as I mentioned already, if we've got good works and we're faithful in them, who deserves the glory for that? Not us. Peter wants to be clear that our faith is a gift and we only find salvation through the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As Peter begins this book remembering his humble beginnings, so should we. For true believers who have repented of sin and placed their faith in Christ, the breath that we breathe this morning is a gift from God. The salvation that we experience and that we will experience is God's gift. Peter continues in verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Jesus, our Lord. This is a very familiar kind of way of opening things, opening the phrase as other New Testament letters, but, but Peter is, is drawing our attention. He, he's beginning that focus on knowledge that he will write about as the book continues. Peter wants us to know God. He wants us to, to know Jesus our Lord. Now, what does it mean to know God? What does it truly, what, is, what does Peter mean? What does that mean to know God? Surely he is not speaking of just knowing a bunch of facts that will be tested on later. I was in school, I was as good as most people in memorizing facts that I needed to know or knowing how to spell words. But you know, as the years have gone by, I have forgotten far more than I will ever remember. You know why? Because most of that stuff I don't even care about, right? You ever go through school, I'm like, why are we learning this? Now, I think more of it's beneficial than we realize, but there's a lot of stuff that goes in one ear and out the other. We memorize it for a test and then it's gone because we just don't value it. You guys ever watch that, Remember that show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Even watching Jeopardy, I'm just like, how do these people know all these stuff? Like this, what does this get you besides winning Jeopardy? I- I'm thrilled, honestly, if I can answer one question. I look at my kids, I'm like, yeah, did you see that? I answered one question. That's not the kind of knowledge that Peter is talking about. Rather, The knowledge that we need is the knowledge that moves from our head. So how do we know that we have the knowledge we've got? It's moved from our head to our hearts to our hands. From the head to our hearts to our hands. We think about it. It penetrates our hearts. And then it leads us to action. That's the knowledge of God, biblically speaking. It's not just knowing a bunch of facts out here. If it doesn't affect the way that that we feel, if it doesn't affect the way that we live, then we don't have the true knowledge of God. This week as I was preparing for this message, and and I got to this part, uh, I immediately went back to January of 2008. Uh, I was a youth pastor at a different church. Uh, So that was a a while ago. And and I was struggling a lot. A lot of just despair, depression, sat like fear. And... Another church asked me to join them to go to this men's conference in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and I'll, I'll just never forget this message. It was about the gospel. Now, as Christians, I think the average believer, when you hear the word gospel, here's what you think about. Salvation. Repent and believe. That, and then you move on to other things. 
that's often, I think, what Christians think. And there's this gospel gap of, like, that initial response to the gospel and then the rest of your life. And I, was, I had a gospel gap in my life. I wasn't preaching the gospel to myself every day, but that's what the, the preacher was saying that morning, that, that morning or evening, I don't remember. Preach the gospel to yourself. Ben, that condemnation that you are carrying with you. See, see, I was carrying everything with me. Every little sin that I committed, I was putting it on my back and I was carrying it. And it was weighing me down. And I was also looking around at, our, at the church in general and just seeing so many people who had no joy. And it was a very kind of legalistic environment of like pointing the finger when people weren't doing what they should be doing. And I was just like, is this it? Is this the Christian life that Christ has called us to? And at that conference for, in some cases, the first time, now I, I do believe I was a believer. I was just a, a baby in many senses. But for the first time, I was really able to cast off my sin and realize if I confess, he is faithful to forgive. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. And so the sins that I commit today, I don't, I, I, there's still a sadness over it. But I realize that Christ already paid for that on the cross. And all of a sudden, I was a new person. I mean, you can ask Nikki. I came home and there was this newfound joy. And, and scriptures like Ephesians 4, 32 be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you, had so, so much more meaning. Because all of a sudden I realized somewhat for the first time that Christ had forgiven me of all my sin, and therefore, in light of Christ's forgiveness for me, I should forgive others. So Ben, who are you to stay bitter at your wife? See, here, here's, here's something I believe to totally be true. Jesus will never ask you to forgive someone more than what you have been forgiven of by him. And that reality transformed the way I look at people. I'm not saying I never struggle with bitterness, but God all quickly reminds me often, man, I have forgiven you so much. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. So I found out, uh, we found out a couple weeks ago, some of you know the sewer problems we were having. There was a fiber optic line that was drilled right through our sewer line. <laughs> That's why our house was flooded. Now, I, I could sit here and be bitter about it, or I could just say, you know what happened? So let's, let's make it right. But who am I to get bitter at these people who did it? How, how can I, as a believer, receive the righteousness of Christ? How can we focus on communion, the forgiveness that we've received, and then be bitter towards somebody else? See, what I, had, what I experienced is it wasn't just knowledge. If I would have gone home and I would have been the same old pouty self, and the same old if, mean to my wife and nasty to my kids, then I didn't receive the true knowledge of God. I, I had facts that go in, my head, in, my, in one ear and out the other, but it transformed me. This is what Peter wants for us to happen in our lives. Understand the, the word of God. Grow in the knowledge of God, not so that you have a bunch of facts up here, but that it changes your heart. And not only it changes your heart, but if your heart is changed, it will change your behavior. Head. Heart, hands, you know what I mean by hands. Hands is action. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something physically, but it changes the way that you look at others. It affects the way that you deal with those who sin against you. So as we close, let me just give you 
few questions to think about. First of all, how is your knowledge of Christ? Are you a student of his word, able to, to identify quickly when false teachers look to deceive you? Does your knowledge of God lead you to change your life? Does it affect your vote? Listen, if you come to church week in and week out, learn some things of God in his word, but go home and remain unchanged, what have you, what have you done? Get to know your Savior. Fall in love with him and live it out. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Second Peter and the challenge to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And Lord, we need your help. I, I can remember, especially back in college days, of pride of what I knew about theology. And Lord, the older I've gotten, the more I realize how little I do know, even now. Lord, there's just no room for boasting, except for in Christ and him crucified. So Lord, in our growth of knowledge, I pray that it would not only affect the way we think, but it would t affect the way we feel, and then affect the way that we live. Lord, there's a message in the world, and even in the church, that sounds good, it tickles our ears, but Lord, would you allow us to decipher what is true, and what is damning to us. We need your help in that, Lord. I, I find myself often in our culture desiring things that are contrary to you, and, and really, Lord, in my pursuit of those things, if I've allowed it to happen, they only lead to emptiness. And so, God, would you help us to approach this appropriately, to grow in our knowledge, to live it out, but to do so with joy. That as, as Peter, I think, would say, he, was, he wasn't enslaved out of, against his will. He was your servant, your slave, out of joy of what you've done for him, Lord. And may that be the case for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you some action steps you can put into practice here. James 3.13. Put that in your hearts. James 3.13. Let me read that for us. It says this. Who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So if, you've got, if you're wise and understanding of knowledge, let it be lived out, right? Let, let your conduct be affected by that. So put that in your heart. And then I, I encourage you to sit down. Second Peter is not very long. And if you could do this even five times this week, it would be amazing. But at least once this week, just read through Second Peter. Get the full context of the scripture so that as we go through this, I mean, that's a good practice every week. It doesn't... It won't take you long at all to read through all of that. Let it saturate your heart so that when you come, you've already been prodded in your spirit about what it has for us in the coming weeks. It's not a very long one. It's only going to take us maybe a couple months. So, And then questions for you to ponder. How's your knowledge? Are you growing in the knowledge of God? Are you in the word? There's no easy way, right? We, I've talked about this. We don't trip into godliness. The scriptures say, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, the workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Work at it. Grow in understanding. Walk in the word with other people around you. And then lastly, practice what you preach. We can't proclaim one message and live a different one out. People, people will read right through that. 
Live out what you believe. Let the knowledge affect your head, your heart, and your hands. Uh, Coffee and donuts are going to be here in just a couple minutes. I encourage you, remember, just stick, stick around for a little while, get to know somebody. And with that, church, let me remind you that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good works so that you can give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.